And um, it has been mentally planned for a very long time. And we're just now, we knew we would sync up at the perfect time. So today is the perfect time to introduce you to my friend, fellow writer, former long, 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 long time ago in the early days coaching client, Sarah Alvarado. And we're going to be talking about um, telling your story. And she, her new book, we're going to mention it a whole bunch of times, going to show it up for the people on video, um, Dreaming in Spanish, An Unexpected Love Story in Puerto Vallarta. And I got to be an early reader of it. It's been out for a while, but I got to be one of her early readers and reviewers. And y'all, I read the whole thing in a day. Because I could not put it down. And I need you to know that I am plagued with not only attention deficit, but I'm addicted to technology. And so to be able to put something down and not pick up a screen and watch it all day, watch it all day. I watched your book all day long. Um, So hello, Sarah. Welcome. Oh, hi, Allison. I was like, did you really? I really did. I mean, I had to get up to pee every once in a while because I have a 51-year-old bladder and not good, you know, (laughs) core muscles, but (laughs) I wasn't wearing my diaper that day. Um, Yeah, so I'm going to work a little bit backwards because you've been doing book interviews and you've been doing some podcasts and live things and book signings. What has the experience, the most recent experience of telling your story about your story been like? Mm, Well, the most recent was last night because I was at an event. Um, It was not a book event. It was for um, a board that I'm on in Madison. Um, And there was this man there who I guess you would call him a lurker. Like I didn't even know he was on the socials. Um, He's in the banking world and he was just like really wanted to talk to me about how proud he was of me. And like, it was like this, it was like this, father loving energy and and it was loving so it wasn't creepy it was just it was really... not creepy at all it was like at, because at first I was like wait I don't are you even on social like I didn't even know you were on social media like that but mm-hmm. then it was just it was so wonderful and it took me by surprise and um he was just like, you know, I, he, I know him through the real estate world in, in Madison. And he was like, you're just so unapologetically you and it's, and it's refreshing and you throw F-bombs and I could never do that. And I just want you to know how he, he used the word proud. Like it was like that. And it wasn't creepy, Allison. It was like, I was no, like, I get it. I have a, um, I'm going to, I'll sell his initials. I won't say his name, but his initials are MB. And many, many years ago, uh, through early Facebook, he found my blog and he ended up, I had like written a, a Wonder Woman post about my friends who are Wonder Women. This is way before the movie. And he's like retired from the tech industry, but for fun, he designs um, slot machines. <laughs> and he, 
so, but every once in a while, he's like a, he's like an emotional benefactor for me. Right. Like, so that's what I pick up from you. And, yeah. um, he, but he, he sent me a message and he's like, I need, you know, he, he just drops in these little messages. I need you to know the work you're doing is good. And just little pure encouragement. And then he's like, you're the reason that the wonder woman movie got made. And the reason the wonder woman slot machine got made. Oh. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's kind of fun. So I get it, right? Like when we when we put our work out there this day and age, we never know who's listening and who's being impacted. And actually, I think a lot more people will be impacted than we'll ever say. Right. So, right. right. Like, like than we'll ever know. say. Yeah. 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 And it's very common for me to get women in my inboxes and private messages and, and pulling right. me aside, you know, thank you. My, my story is in your story. I feel seen like that. That's been beautiful and wonderful. Um, but for this, you know, older man to have these comments, it was like, Oh wow. Okay. Yes. It's not, you know, you just don't know. Like you said, you just yeah. don't know. Well, and your story isn't just a love story. It's also the story of a white woman in a mixed race relationship and also of a white woman immersed in Mexican culture. And then ultimately a story of a mixed race partnership mm-hmm. and raising children and the, the dynamics of that. Um where do we want to go? Dreaming in Spanish. <laughs> My favorite, like, I, I was tapping back into the feelings I felt that day. And I have, when I have real visceral memories, I I remember where I am. I don't remember what I'm wearing, but I can remember the way my body felt. And I remember reading your book. I was lying on my bed. And I kind of like that gentleman said to you, I just felt your humanness. And you know that I'm just such a champion for our realness, for not um, pretending the hard things don't happen. And so I'm a champion for the humanness and hope. Um, But I want to hear about what it's like. So Sarah was a client a long time ago. And many, many years ago, she was like, Allison, do you want to tell that part of, tell your part of the story? We can. So in, so I got my real estate license in 2002 because it was my backup plan because I needed to um, feed my family. Um, We just moved to Madison and we had an 18 month old son and my husband was going through the process of getting his green card and I couldn't get a job because I've been living in Mexico for three years. um, So I wasn't really employable. So real estate was my backup plan. And for about 10 years, I pushed hard and was raising the babies, had another one, just doing real estate with everything in me. And yet I was longing for more spiritual depth. And I really wanted to write and be, well, at that point, I don't even know if I could have said I wanted to be a writer, but it just, it was, it was a longing. Mm -hmm. I I don't even, oh, I guess it was through real estate. I was like, how did I even like See you through charity a- through charity gent because charity gent was a client and friend of mine and oh. y'all knew each other from yeah. that world and oh. then social media probably connected us 100 yeah. percent. so i started so i reached out to you to start coaching just regular coaching like life coaching like yeah. how do i what do i want my life to look like now that my real estate business is you know pretty solid i guess you could say sustainable it was sustainable uh-huh. and i yeah. had the time and space to dream um and so i i reached out to you and then when 
I think at one point I just like, I, I'm sure I whispered. I remember like where I was standing. I was like, I want to start <laughs> writing. Um, and you were like, okay, do it. I mean, I don't remember all of the conversations, but it ended up to be where I started a blog and you were my only reader because I didn't want to share it with the world. But the very beginning, we just had a Google drive folder. I probably still have that Google drive folder to be honest, because I still have almost everything, but we started a Google drive folder and I was the only person allowed to see it. And I don't that I just remember the specialness of that. And I don't it may have been three posts before you were a little bit more comfortable starting to share. Then I went from the Google Drive to an actual blog. But again, I didn't share with anyone. Then there was two other women that I let in to see it. And then Alex, um, my son, who was 13 at the time, he had there was a I guess you could call it an incident, but um, it was we had a conversation about something that happened on the soccer field. And I turned that into a blog post. And it was really just about me realizing I'm not who I want to be as a parent. Mm. We don't talk about race enough. And that was the first one that I posted on Facebook that, but there was like, I think 10 prior to that, that no one had ever read (laughs) that had been published. Um, (laughs) But it was that one that I actually shared on Facebook um, that kind of catapulted me into conversations I had never, I hadn't been having. Can you tap into any of the body sensations or emotions from that time of stepping over the line into a little bit of public? I mean, I know you're used to it now, but can you remember any of the emotional, visceral experience? Terrified. Tell me more. Like in my chest. Well, for sure my stomach, but definitely my heart would race. And I, I remember finding a trickster move for me that released it. And that was running. Mm. So like after I would, cause you know, you write and then you edit and then you press submit or publish or, you know, whatever it is in your, in the back end. And I would press that. Or actually it was once you, once you do that, it's actually putting on Facebook that would then get the eyes. Right. So once I would put it on Facebook, I would run away. Like it was almost like running away. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to put it out there, but then I'm like going to run. <laughs> and I just physically would need to like move my body and run as fast as I could just to kind of, I guess, get that out. Yeah. Um, and then I felt like I could maybe handle it. <laughs> and now you seem pretty freaking comfortable. I seem, but not always. I mean, putting this this out in the world is, is very vulnerable. Um, and people, I mean, that is one of the questions I get asked a lot is, you know, how is it putting these stories out in the world? Um, and one of my responses is I have been writing very vulnerably on Facebook for 10 Mm. plus years. So it is a lot easier than I think someone who maybe hasn't had that practice. Um, so, yes, it's not always that hard, but it's still sometimes as scary. I particularly um, have a deep, holy respect for your writing about your um, relationship with your mother who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I don't even remember the years. How many years ago? 2016. But when we yeah. were working together in 2014, we knew it. I remember talking to you about it in some of your groups. Um Cause I was ter- I was like, I don't understand what's happening to my mom. Right. Yeah. And then 
so you've been writing and sharing photos and you've had to move your mom into facilities where she can get support. There are many times, you know, it's really advanced and progressed, but your mother's such a joyful, she's such a joyful spirit. Yeah. And I always think of lilac and purple and you and your mom, whenever I think of you, I just, I think of this. And, but what I appreciate that you've done, I have another friend who's lost her mom in February and was hospicing her. And she's just been so courageous. And when I say this, like, there's no obligation for, for anybody to ever have to tell their story, but some of us are compelled to share more of the, unfiltered truth and you have walked through navigating anticipatory grief present grief um, losing a mother who's still alive and that relationship with so here we go again with so much humanness and to me there's holy in that sharing with us it's such a gift because it gives so many of the rest of us an permission to have uncomfortable feelings to talk about uncomfortable feelings because a lot of people you know they dismiss that they bypass it they tell you you're sharing too much it's too private and it's your you know your story to tell um yeah so like in the book i reference Anne lamott's book operating instructions um And that had a huge impact on me after Alex was born and he was, you know, a baby and I was breastfeeding and, and miserable. And for her to share so openly about her recovery story and what it's like having a newborn, like that for me was so liberating. Like I actually Mm -hmm. feel, I felt saved to some extent. Um, And, and I think that's kind of where, plus with social media, the, the filters, it's just, it really annoys me. And people put people on pedestals and they're like, oh my, and the celebrity culture, like, I mm-hmm. don't like any of it. Like, yep. I have visceral reactions to like, right. I call bullshit every single day. Yeah. I realize I have a coping, it's a coping mechanism, but one I choose to keep on purpose and I pull myself off of a pedestal so that you can't do it. But <laughs> um, I also do it because it's benefited a lot of people, right? Yeah. Like just no particular, there was somebody on TikTok yesterday and they were like, oh, how do you do these nourishing practices? And I cracked up at a Diet Coke <laughs> to start the thing. And I was like, hold on. And I was, it really was, it was absolute genuine. I was just laughing that I was about to do a nourishing practice, little teaching thing, but I'm also drinking what we call in my house poison. And so, right. Like, I don't know. My whole body tingles when I'm around people who are just willing to tell the truth and wild edges of being human. That's the name of this podcast now. And you live and write in the wild edges and the opposite of the wild edges for me, I don't know if I've discussed it on the podcast before is what I call the narrows and the narrows are those plastic boxes in the container store. Like we all know what the inside of a container store looks like and they have those acrylic boxes and those are fantastic for your pantry or to organize your makeup or, you know, I like having things organized, but our humanness cannot fit in those boxes and culture and systems of oppression that I, you're one of the grandmothers of me learning about all this, um, keep us in those narrows so that we buy more shit and give away our self-trust. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. 
I think it's also healing. I think it's healing to come to confront my own realness too, because I can talk mm-hmm. myself into any sort of way. I was raised with, I mean, my mom is the most magical woman in the world. And she also had rose colored glasses on. Like there was a hierarchy of happiness in our household. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so feeling bad was really not something that we could sit mm-hmm. in. And that's been a practice for me. So I think part of my journey in writing and sharing and being okay in the messiness of it is how much I want to dismantle perfectionism and Mm -hmm. spiritual bypassing and Mm -hmm. what is that toxic positivity? Mm -hmm. Um, All the things I was into when we met (laughs) that I will not participate in anymore. Well, I mean, we were, we're right. It's just part of, it's part of, but there is like a lot of joy too. And being able to not feel shame and guilt for, for feeling madly in love with my husband when everyone else wants to bitch about theirs, you know, like, right. yes. yeah, sorry, yeah. don't want to play. I actually really like my husband. So if that's right. your gig, yeah. then, you know, find a different happy hour. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate those aspects of my journey too. And looking back, I love, Looking back on them from this beginning of a, a look, there's Brett Bottege. Boop, crush it. He's a fan of yours and mine and charities. Oh, because we're like actually live, live. We're live, live. People can comment. <laughs> I thought we were just recording it. Okay. Well, no, 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 Brett, no, no. I love Brett. <laughs> I know. Um, oh. Yeah, I love looking back on those. I mean, we wouldn't, I don't, I'm not a regret person and I don't get that you are either. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, first of all, I've never stabbed any puppies or, or killed any kittens and that I would have regret for, but that's not my kind of personality. Um, I don't have regret because everything I've ever done and been has made me the woman that I am today. And there is yeah. no, you learn from it. right. We learn. Yeah. We learn from it. And, and the things that I, I wish I could say that the things that I, I wish I could say that the things that I learned from are the really positive and joyful things. And, you know, I have to sink into feeling good too. And yet my biggest lessons and my biggest knowings and my biggest development of self-trust and the skills to feel uncomfortable have come from the difficult things. Yeah. Um, I also, and I'm sure a lot of your readers that know you had this experience, but, you know, I've heard stories about you and your family, and I've coached you through your kid's puberty. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. And um, I tend to coach a lot of women with teenage boys. It's so fascinating. Um, That was a long time ago. And so, for me, it was really fun to hear the details about how you met and fell in love with Carlos. Yeah. And yeah. So well, into the book somewhere, I guess, because a lot of people are like, why this story? Um, Yeah. Partly because of my mom's Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And then after I was um, badly burned in that, in a fire accident, Mm -hmm. I was like, what, what will I really, I guess, regret if I, if on my deathbed, right? Like, like mm. anything can happen, right? I could, I could lose my mind. I could lose mm. my mind parts. I could like, I could have died, you know, like all of the, mm. when death is that close and writing this, 
Well, writing a book was really important to me, but after that, it was really writing the story. I didn't want the story to die with me, which mm. sounds, you know, a little dramatic, but whatever. No, I think that's totally valid. Um, and part of it is because I think people don't understand all the time how much trauma impacts decisions that we make and who we become and how we and how we move through the world and mm-hmm. Carlos and I met at a time when I was in a really really bad place and it wasn't easy at all um at all and so I think sometimes it's like oh this beautiful love story and I was like I I love our love story but it's not just beautiful like it was hard yeah and I wanted my kids to also know so it was kind of like a like for my family like I wanted to tell it for me but also just the the my children and their grandchildren like actually Mm -hmm. knowing how we came together across Mm -hmm. borders and um, what it's like with living in an international, it's, it's almost like an, um, an international family system. Ha- it is an international family. Yeah, right. we are and as long as I've known you, you have been back and forth yeah. and his family in, in Mexico is very much a part of your family. Yeah. And y'all have raised your boys like that. Um, you were one of the people that I spoke Spanish with. And actually, as I was reading your book, because you do a lot of um, translation, it reactivated the muscle memory of Spanish and of course, I love your title. I used to dream in Spanish when I was fluent. I'm nowhere near fluent anymore, but that was also this visceral feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to like, yes, it's a beautiful love story, but it's also it was. I can see why people were like, um, I'm sorry, you went down to Mexico and you met a guy? But you get so much into the detail of the story and the conversations you have and the inner work you're doing and the, the things that you felt on the beach and the way... Uh, it's, it's an unexpected, you know, I know the ending, but if you just see this, you're like, Oh, this is trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So I think that's the, that's the magic. It's not just that y'all ended up falling in love and having a family. It's y'all did do things a little differently. Well, and I had um, to fall in love with myself. I mean, there's yeah. a love story with myself there's a love story with my mom and what it's like to want to be with your mom more than anything i have a, mm-hmm. i don't have a complicated relationship with my mom um mm-hmm. and i know a lot of people do so i i feel i feel that um from people who honestly were like i don't have that relationship with my mom and you give me an mm-hmm. opportunity about how i could have a different relationship with my children so i think that um but also i didn't i didn't want to be in madison i so how do you how do you be in relationship with someone so far away? And there was a lot of it was it was a lot of love. There's just a lot of love in it. Mm-hmm. Complicated and uncomplicated. Yeah, and the behavior of love, right? Love is not just this airy fairy thing, but there's a lot of behaving in love that yeah. I remember from the book. Well, I think part of it was because I actually did love myself as party girl Sarah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so it was like, how do I give up something that I, I actually, even though, okay, I hated the behaviors and I loved who I was to some extent. Right. I didn't know any different. Um, right. and, I, and remind me how old, for those listening, you haven't read the book because you're going to get the book. You're going to buy the book. Um, we're going to put the link in the show notes. I'll go back and put them in the live video. Um, but it starts, remind me the age you were. 24. 
24. And she's like, I ain't got an alcohol problem. I'm going to go to Mexico to sober up <laughs> by myself. Yeah. And um, December of 99 when the world was freaking out about Y2K. And I was yeah. like, what could happen on the beach in Mexico? Yeah. And so that's where it starts. And having, having written, I now realize I didn't know this before working with my publisher and book coach, but like when you write a memoir, you pick a period of time. And so I think it's interesting. You're like, why now? Well, I had this accident and my mom, this, there's so much story in your accident and there's so much story in the, the most recent story with your mom. And, but you chose this party girl, Sarah becoming who coincidentally or magically meets this man in a restaurant in Puerto, Puerto Vallarta. Uh, I mean, that so much happened in a short period of time. And um, I do know a lot of people struggle with, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know how to get out of this place I'm in. And I do feel like there's a lot of hope in the story of it can be really bad and you can find a way and finding yeah. a way isn't necessarily... Um, there was the fear of, am I running to something or am I running away from something? And I was really mm -hmm. that with myself, but you can do both. You can run away yeah. from the old and you can run to new stuff, but it's always in you, no matter where you go anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. So like how can you get in touch with yourself and really um, look in the mirror and have those hard conversations and then find the magic. I'm going slow just cause I'm enjoying the, the like body butter, <laughs> right? The body butter. I want to ask you about um, being a white woman in a mixed race marriage and raising mixed race kids in Madison, Wisconsin. Is there anything, I mean, that's a really broad intro, but is there any highlights or really important points that you want to bring to the conversation about that, because I know that you also do a lot of local real estate equity and justice work. Um, you, you are the first person that helped me in a very, actually, you've set the precedent for talking about white privilege, um, especially because after we had this conversation at my house, so Sarah said something, we were, I don't even remember the conversation, but I was like, I don't have white privilege. I grew up poor. <laughs> I chuckled out, but you were so loving you were not condescending. You let me be a, a brand new person to this conversation, which I feel like in the online space, there's no room for. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed a few years later um, when it became a very hot specific topic online everywhere. And I remember being in a room and, you know, I'm from Texas and I'm from the South. And I, the two people that were facilitating the conversation were, from Oakland and had exposure to a different kind of society. And, you know, I remember some girl coming in and she was like, my husband doesn't even know I'm voting for Hillary. And I can't remember what was said, but I just remember people jumping on her. And I thought back to Sarah letting me be a beginner without shame and um, letting me center myself and letting me have tenderness around it. Like you allowed my humanity mm -hmm. and that was such an entryway for learning. And the other thing is we put our feet under that blue kitchen table 
and had a conversation. And we had a conversation with lots of people and it wasn't a lecture. It no. was just a curious conversation. And so I made a point, especially after seeing all the malarkey online, I was like, it's too easy to be open to misinterpretation and not get the nuance. And, and so I have those discussions with my clients. I have, you know, I am constantly and still learning. Um, but if I'm going to, I have my feet under the same table with the human beings I'm talking to, but you do a lot of um, work in the real estate industry. I think you had an event yesterday that was around some of these things. Um, and, and I saw a mom it was actually a white mom this morning on TikTok, um, and she was sharing about um, black dads bringing, I can't remember what it, but it was really nuanced. She was like, you, you gotta, you gotta think if you're a white mom, you gotta, you can't just be a white mom. <laughs> and I don't quite have the language for it, but there's a lot of other considerations when your family is mixed race, when your children are brown, when you have brown boys too, and also wanting them to keep their culture and their mixedness, not assimilate them into whiteness completely. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. Um, I definitely learned humanity through the coaches I've had, like Ananda mm -hmm. really has cre also met me where I'm at and allowed mm -hmm. my fear and my uh, confusion and shame and met me and, and yeah. held space for that. Um, so I know like it wasn't that long ago where I was, confused and like, wait, what, wait, I don't, <laughs> the, what, what I, what was really hard for me in writing the book was I wrote it, you know, in the past five years and I had done a lot of my own racial justice work. So mm -hmm. you know, looking back at this, at the stories of who I was when I was 24 and 25 years old, yeah. I didn't have any of the language. I didn't have the, I didn't have the awareness. I didn't have the education. I didn't have the understanding. Um, I was raised colorblind. You know, my parents were hippies. We love anyone. Mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. We talk about race because race doesn't matter. We're all one. We're all the same. La, la, la. Which is beautiful, which is how I was so easily able to fall in love with Carlos without any of the biases. I mean, there were biases. There are always biases. Sure. At the same time, it was like, and, and it, there was no concern with my family and marrying him. So that was all beautiful. However, I wasn't aware of my whiteness. And yeah. so I had to tell some of these stories in a way that wouldn't take people out of the story, mm -hmm. but would also shine a light on where I could have seen things differently had I been more aware. Um, and that was really tricky. I think that was one of the hardest parts about, about editing. And for my own self, as I'm reading my journals and remembering who I was and being embarrassed, like, oh yeah. like yeah. but if I don't tell these stories, I'm erasing that, right? And I do want to show space and show ways for other white women. Like, you can look at your history and also show up to where you were ignorant and maybe Absolutely. And not feel bad about who you are as a human being. Like that's because that's not going to help. That's not going to move us forward. This, this shame and guilt and blame doesn't. Yeah. So me being white in Mexico and having children and having my first child in Mexico, I witnessed a lot of, I was on a pedestal. I was a princess, you know, oh my God, you speak Spanish so well. Your child is so beautiful. Your light skinned baby is so beautiful. And I felt uncomfortable, but I didn't understand how to address it. Right. So like, 
wait, I'm all of a sudden so special in this room because I'm white. Like that's, that's fucked up. (laughs) It shows you how fucked up it is when somebody is, you know, not in reverence for who they are because of the, like just color of your skin should not write anything. Right. Um, so it wasn't until later. And I think your question is, what is it like to be a white mom in a multiracial um, family and raising children? It wasn't until I started to see it myself and do my own journey in 2013. Mm-hmm. So 10 years later. So my kids, yeah. you know, even though we were very much, yes, you are Mexican, who you are, who you want to be. Like we love Spanish, the language and all of these things, but yet I wasn't able to acknowledge my privilege and my whiteness. Um, and it wasn't. And when I started to do that work, it wasn't about, I want to make sure I'm raising my children. Well, it was mm-hmm. me realizing I wasn't who I wanted to be. Yeah. I, one of the things I've learned since that, experience since that very first conversation with you right and as a human I I mean I think because we're human we're gonna look personally first I I actually kind of believe that we're supposed to that's you know it's my hypothesis and it only becomes selfish when we don't extend the personal individual work out. For me, I see doing individual work is not independent of the work that I need to do in community and systems. Um, so I get that that's a starting place. And you could have been somebody, well, like, I have a Mexican husband. I have Mexican children. You know, you could have used, used that. But now what I see, and it's fascinating I see the systems everywhere. I I didn't before that. I only had an individual experience. I didn't understand, you know, like there's a difference between I'm not racist and I am racist because I was raised in a system that is racist and seeing all the, whether it's follow the money or follow the power, those things to me, that's where I am right now. I'm in this place of seeing all the connections and how everything is systemically set up to fuck a lot of people and it can get really dark that's new for me because i'm white (laughs) but it's been dark for for people to they've had to carry the weight of that for a long time and um yeah so i'm just really grateful for that conversation i'm grateful for the way you wove it into the book but you're also not come you're coming to it as a part of your story not as a teacher no not as an authority but but weaving it in yeah. um and yeah. i i know the nuance that takes so you did a really good job yeah thanks well and even like the one story with my sister-in-law and and she was upset with me because I made a, I made a mistake. I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand the norms, the cultural mm-hmm. norms. And I, um, I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts, but I messed up. And, and then I had an opportunity. I didn't have an opportunity. I insisted that we have a conversation because I love her and I, and I didn't want, and I felt horrible about what had happened, but I also needed her to know that like, it wasn't uh, like, there's a difference between intentionally trying to harm someone and doing something that creates negative impact that hurts Mm -hmm. someone. So in Mm -hmm. the teachings that I've learned from is 
hurt happens and no one mm-hmm. wants to hurt anyone, but that will happen. We live in a world where we disappoint, we inconvenience mm-hmm. and we hurt people. And how do we repair that? How do we be in humanity around that so that it's not about me feeling bad that I hurt her? It's about how do I how do I reach out to repair that hurt because I don't want her to be hurt anymore. And that's centering our relationship, not her or me or one or the other, but it's our relationship and how can we be in relationship together because you're family. You're reestablishing. So this is an interesting parallel. You're reestablishing connection and attachment. And there's a video I talk about all the time called um, the still face experiment. Uh, I can't remember the university right now, but it is in a university study setting. And there's a, there's a couple of different versions, but the one I'm speaking to is this nine month old girl. And um, so she has no language yet and she's there with her mom and she is, the mom is there and looking her in the eye and really present. And then in the experiment, the mom is supposed to turn away and come back with a still face. So she turns off her energy on the inside and the little girl who has no words, who has no intellect about all this immediately, we see her body language, notice the withdrawal of connection, notice the hurt or experience the hurt. And then she does her coping mechanisms, which she doesn't know that, but the first thing she does is tries to kind of fawn like, hey, hey, mom, we were having fun, you know, point, let's get back into the game. That doesn't work. The mom is still there. Then the second thing she does is she starts grunting and kind of like the fight response, right? And when that doesn't happen, the third thing she does is she turns in on herself. You can see the beginning of it. And then they, 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 what they, this is the crucial part of the experiment. They create repair. Mm. And so it's not that we don't get harmed because, um, The example I use in my book is like a mom could come in and need to pee like crazy. And she very safely sits her baby in that little carrier on the counter. The baby is fine, but the baby experiences the hurt, doesn't have words for it. And the mom can't come back and I'm still here. She can't create repair. So yes, there is going to be hurt. We as human beings have got to learn repair skills. A hundred percent. I mean, that's exactly all of it. It's not just the not hurting. Yes. It's the repair repair. skills and repair is about presence and connection. It's not about defending, but it's about reestablishing appropriate attachment or connection. So I, that's just, yeah, yeah. Right. Like I've been in situations in multiracial situations where I have said something or reacted in a way that was hurtful. And instead of, Hey, Sarah, this is what happened. Can we talk about this? Like, this is, this was the impact on me. Mm -hmm. I was reprimanded. Like I would, like it was, you were wrong to do this and you created harm. And then it was just a cutoff. Like, and there was no way for me to, to repair um, because it, and that might've just been trigger response. Like who knows what people are going through. So also as a white women, woman, in my opinion, if that does happen, that has to be okay too. Yeah. Right. And I think part of the problem is a lot of times, and I'm, I'm obviously there's nuances here, but 
a lot of times when I'm working with white women who are, can you, can, can you teach me how to say the right thing? What, how do I, how do I react in this situation? What do I do? Like, please tell me what to do so that I can do it right. So that I don't get in trouble. And yes. so that we have people- a, you're doing it wrong story. A lot of women I work with are afraid of being misunderstood and doing it wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's like, well, that's actually not going to be helpful because we are going to mess up. And so really it's, are we in relationship with people who want us to have healthy relationships and, um, and do it in a way that's in service of humanity, right? Well, like, and the, the other thing we haven't been taught, right? So, you know, you and I, you're still in real estate. Um, you still have your company. I think Carlos runs it now. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so she was being modest when she was talking about her business is sustainable. Her business is woman owned and freaking amazing um, and definitely sustainable. Um, I have ums a lot. <sighs> Are you watching for them? I haven't even been watching. No, I'm not watching for them, but I noticed them and I actually gave myself permission to not watch them and just be an ummer. I was listening to somebody the other day and I was like, they're umming and they're super famous. So my ums are totally fine. Let me pause because that's what we're supposed to do during an um. So we learned a lot of real estate scripts, right? And at at the beginning, they sound like scripts. I, I used to call them words that work. And then at some point, they become more real in your body and they, they become not a manipulative language, but helpful communication. And what I learned recently and why I've shifted my whole business. And I know this about your book, but it it does intersect. We as individual human beings have got to learn some skills, how to lead our thinking, not just change our thinking, how to lead our emotion, how to lead our nervous system and lead our stress responses because we've all been taught to shove it down kind of like the conversation with your sister-in-law like I don't want to have it and you're like I insist on this and we've been taught an all or nothing so we have either an emotional explosion or we shut completely down instead of the noticing and then for me I call it you know caring for parts oh I see you part that is really afraid you did something wrong like that's my responsible it's not anybody else's responsibility to tell me I didn't do something wrong and that's a skill that people need to learn it doesn't happen innately what happens innately is people's fucking coping skills and um yeah I mean I'm the queen of Am I doing something wrong? Did I did I do it wrong? Right, and that is not fifty one year old Allison. That is like three year old Allison. So um, I just think I think it's interesting. I think the the overlap. Okay, let's get back to your book real quick. I want to say one more thing, and then anything else you want to say about the book. I can. You write, and listen. Not everybody does this. I've read a lot of shitty books. My husband gets a lot of shitty books too, because he's an author also. So people send us their books. You write in a way I've never been to Puerto Vallarta. You write in a way that I could see the ocean. I could see the Puebla. I could see um, your apartment and the long walk to it. And I could see the bus stop and I could see y'all sitting in, in the restaurant. I could smell and taste. I am coming over right after this. And your husband is making me uh, quesadillas and guacamole. <laughs> you must serve that when I go over to your house next time. I don't live anywhere near here. 
y'all, I live completely across the state, but like I, it got all my senses going and you do a really good job of not only telling your story, but bringing us into the aliveness of your story. I think that's talent as a writer. So I just want to give you a little gold star. Thank you, Allison. I will take the gold star. I think that's one of the reasons, I mean, the story too, but all of it just had me curl up. I, I, you gave it to me in a PDF first. So it was on my Kindle and it was just the best day. And so I just want to, I want to encourage y'all to pick up this book and enjoy and savor it and um, have your own little Mexican vacation (laughs) through Sarah's storytelling. People have said it's an easy read and it's a beachy read. And that's been really fun feedback because for me, I felt like the first part, there's four parts to the book. And I felt like the first, I was worried still, I'm worried, I guess, because it's kind of still new out that the first part would be a little hard for people to get through. Um, you know, cause yeah, I have, I have to share some of the hard stuff and, yeah. but apparently it, isn't that hard to get through. So no, that's the thing. I mean, it might be a beachy read, but it's not shallow. It's human. It's nuanced. It's living at the wild edge. And um, I I think that's one of the reasons it is visceral is because it's real, Mm -hmm. not, um, not airbrushed over. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Allison. Yeah. Thank you. I just want to take a breath with you and I want to acknowledge you doing the work of writing and having a book published and then promoting it and sharing your story over and over and over different ways um thank you for all the work that we didn't see that that took yeah it's a it's a big fucking deal good job yeah no i would love it that it literally came out like within months within months of each other it was nice to have a it's nice to have a you know have somebody behind the scenes and i think that's part of you know, I'm, I, I don't want to compare myself to any other interviews you've done, but I'm a process person. So I'm aware of the process. And I think a lot of my listeners are somebody that want to tell their story and mm-hmm. feel like they're not enough to tell their story or, um, you know, they don't know where to begin or, you know, you're at the end now and people don't see the daily practice and not just the daily practice of writing, but the daily practice of managing the parts of you that tell you you don't need to be writing a book or the real people that tell you you don't need to be writing a book or, you know, all the unexpected, you know, a word I've been using lately is that so many of us have in our minds, a utopia of certain experiences and relationships. And the truth is far from the utopia and you've navigated and are navigating the messy process of putting this very first, I know you'll have more. This is the first of Sarah Alvarado's books, dreaming in Spanish, an unexpected love story in Puerto Vallarta. I hope so. I love writing, but I also love encouraging other people to write their stories like i didn't like i'm all about write the first shitty draft like just get it out of mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. what will happen later um you know it, it can come together but just to start writing it just to write just you know you pr- i process so i think there's so many people that process through writing um it, it's yeah yeah i'm, I'm one of those people <laughs> someone told me the other day they're like you write really long posts on social media and i was like yep I did. 
sometimes I take them over to my blog and it's funny because like, right, there's all the shoulds, like you should make this concise. And I, I'm just done with that. Like, again, falling in love with myself enough to allow myself to have ums. My book is full of ellipses, which is a very ADHD thing to do. And, um, and, and parentheses and very long sentences. And I am not writing to um, fit my fifth grade teacher's expectations, I very specifically am writing the way that I speak because I'm telling my story. Right. Well, so, and and, and like you did that too. Voice, right. Like people say, I felt like I was talking to my best friend. It's like, well, that's the voice. You, you can't. Yes. I edited. I think my first, my last draft before the editing process was 110,000 words. And now it's like at 86,000 words. Yeah. So yes, we have to cut a lot out, but um so when I say that because you did it too, and I want to be standing next to you with permission to people to to just start writing and yeah. write your shitty first drafts. And um if you feel brave and courageous, write online. And and it's not about getting feedback, but it is I for me, for my parts, it is about being witnessed and also I don't know. It's about being witnessed and being witnessed in our processing is a, is a holy experience. It's a- yeah. So I always like to say that one of the things I love about writing is that there's so many different parts to it. Like I love getting it all out of me, right? I love mm-hmm. that process of just, it's me and the paper. And then I love the editing aspect of like making it so that the reader can receive it. And then I love publishing it literally just for the hit of doing something scary, right? Like, just period that because that in itself is something. And I think some, I think we forget about that one little piece of like, okay, wow, that took, it takes courage to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's like a muscle. And if I want to be more and more courageous, like I got to keep working that muscle, but then there's the other part of people receiving it. However, mm-hmm. they're going to receiving it. And however, then, they're going to receive however it. However, they receive it. And then I get to practice detaching from what I need them to receive. Yes. Practice. Like that is something I am practicing on a regular basis. Like how do yes. I detach? And then how can not I not rec- take the good either, right? Like receive the good, but not in the same way. If we, if we get feedback that we don't like, that doesn't feel good to not my, I, one of my Dave Gorman, one of my coaches would always say independent of the good and bad opinions of others. Okay. Yes. And okay, I, tell wasn't, me more. I wasn't receiving the good because oh. I was so prepared for the negative. Uh Right. Like I was like, okay, this is scary to put out there. I'm sure I'm going to get, there's going to be negative stuff. Therefore I'm in defense. You play basketball. I'm in defense position. Nobody's, nobody's going to like, I got, I got to protect myself. So anything that's thrown my way is going to bounce right off of me. Yeah. Which meant when I started receiving positive feedback, I couldn't receive it. And then when I started to realize like, you know, like I would doubt people, like you'd be like, I read it in a day. And I was like, no, you didn't, you didn't even finish it. <laughs> Seriously though, Allison, like that's a coping mechanism, right? Like yeah. how can I be in relationship with, and if I get negative feedback, this is art. It would be weird if somebody did, if, if there were people that didn't like my book, right? Like if everybody liked it, that would be weird. Maybe that's the right. better way to say it. And so like, not everyone likes everything. Right. So I, I'm kind of hoping that at some point I do get some negative feedback because that means more people than just my friends are reading it. Well, we can have like, that's the thing. We can have the cognitive experience of not 
we can have the cognitive experience and wisdom to know not to take something personally. And I don't believe it's our current body that takes it personally. I think it is the old muscle memory from various core wounds um, that, that has a nervous system taking it personally. And yes, that's connected to the brain, but it's like having the experience. Well, I know I shouldn't take it personally, but I'm feeling this way. We're, we're holding both of those parts at the same time. And what I actually found that I think what, you know, finishing writing my book and then also in my business, the first 20 years, the last 20 years were built on me thirsty for the approval and the good feedback. Um, And I was terrified of the bad feedback, but having the experience of feedback that didn't feel good also helped me to develop, like if the little part of me is like, I wish everybody loved it. And I I would say, you know what, honey, I love it. And I, two nights ago, I was having a bad day. You know what I did? I pulled out my book and I was like, I love this book and I love you for writing it. And I know that sounds so corny, but like, that's actually, I can think about doing that or I can build, lift the little weights, right? And I do my little five pound weights and my 15 pound kettlebar and my little stretches. And the same thing with these parts that were so dehydrated and thirsty for so long. And I've noticed recently they're all out on the pool patio. They have beepers in case I need them. They're drinking mocktails and they're like, yeah, now we trust 51 year old Allison to be on offense about yes. her book, to yes. be on offense about her business, to be on offense. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that I say, I want to acknowledge your process because yes. those are the invisible, you know, when, when you have a nervous system, that turns into an obvious response, whether it's in your mind or in your body or in your emotions is brave and courageous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, a hundred percent. I, I feel very brave for doing what I've done and I love it. And after, um, you know, people would say after the fire accident, Oh my God, you're so brave. I was like, no, that just happened to me. That's not brave. This is brave. Putting this story out in the world is brave. Yeah. And now I like, I have a new relationship with being brave. So thank you for seeing that. Alice. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for seeing me. Thank you for coming on and sharing and cheers to my writer friends and cheers to you. Um, any final word? I don't have, I don't have one of those like questions I ask anytime. I just, right. wanna, you know, endings are awkward and I probably won't want to wait to get this out, which means I'm going to produce it because my podcast producer dropped her computer and we're working on getting her a new one. So it may just be our raw thing and that's okay. I'm right. Like get it out into the world. I'm excited for people to enjoy this book and feel the color and love in it. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Allison. Mwah. Mwah.